If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens. Welcome back, pet lovers. Did you know there are almost 90 million pet parents in the United States? Isn't that incredible? And many of us want to be able to include our four-legged family members as part of our day-to-day lives as much as possible, particularly our dogs. I mean, my dog is with me all the time. And you know, depending on where you live and what you're trying to do, that can prove somewhat difficult in a lot of cities. But new pet businesses are popping up every day to fill the demand for this growing breed of consumers like me and many of my friends. In today's time, at least, we spoil our pets with all kinds of luxuries. You know, gourmet pet cuisine. I spend more money on my dog's food than I do on my own, for sure. We also have upscale hotel accommodations that are specifically for dog lovers. And we even have pet dating services, which are a lot of fun. We interviewed a couple of those uh, in a previous show. There's a lot going on that you want to involve your pet in, and businesses are picking up on that. And there, But there's time still that you want to run into town to run errands, and you can't take your dog into the store with you. Well, that's where a brand new company called Dog Spot comes in. A dog spot is a really convenient way to shelter and protect your dog while you're on the run. And it gives you more time to enjoy the day with your best friend when you're doing other things in the city that you can do with your pet. So today we've invited Rebecca Ayer, the Director of Communication for Dog Parker, to help tell us a little bit more about how they are helping make cities more pet friendly. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you. All right. I want to have you start by describing how the dog spot works. And remember, you're on radio, so people don't, you know, they're not able to see here. So give us a little description about how it works and what it looks like. Absolutely. So DogSpot is basically an app-based shared economy amenity. Uh, It's shaped just like a doghouse, and it's built for the dimensions of a German Shepherd crate, so it really can accommodate most of the types of dogs that would be out and about with people uh, in the city. And the house itself is made out of essentially uh, the same material that cars are made out of, so it's incredibly sturdy. and it has interior, the interior surfaces are all vet grade and non-porous, uh, which makes for kind of an inhospitable environment for fleas or anything like that. And it's equipped with a lot of different technology that essentially makes sure that the dogs inside it are safe and clean and comfortable. Um, Talk a little bit more about that, because honestly, the idea of leaving my dog unattended in a little dog house, it, you know, can make you nervous. And I'm assuming it's just like outside of a of the place where I'm going in. But what do you guys do to assure me, the pet parent, that I'm that the dog is monitored, it's going to be safe, it's going to be happy, comfortable? What kinds of things do you guys offer so that I know it's safe? Yeah, absolutely. So DogSpot essentially works like a city bike or um, any other kind of bike share or car to go in that um, basically it's it's shared by the community of its members. Um, and that means that it's being used one after the other by the people using it. And that can obviously present a concern when it comes to safety or more, more specifically cleanliness. Um, but we've thought of that. I mean, we DogSpot was invented by pet parents. And so we know what the anxieties are of 
people who have dogs. We use the dog spots ourselves. So uh, we made sure to build in all kinds of things. So we have a UVC light um, that cleans between each session, which is the same hospital grade cleaning mechanism um, that they use to just eliminate bacteria and viruses in hospital environments. So it's, it's incredibly effective to self-sanitize. And the house itself has a camera inside. So we call it a puppy cam and it's available through your app so you can keep an eye on your dog. We're also personally monitoring every session. Like we're almost neurotic about it. So we are watching to make sure your dog is happy and comfortable. If a dog is barking or pawing at the door or uncomfortable for any reason, we would contact the the dog owner and just let them know that uh, that it might not be a good fit or maybe they need to come back and just check in on them. Um, but for the most part, because dogs are den animals, they would prefer to be in a contained space, especially that's temperature controlled, than to be tethered outside um, and accessible to passersby for, to be poked and prodded um, or to be left obviously in a car uh, where they might overheat. Um, so there's a lot of different safety concerns involved in the current workarounds that dog owners are doing. And so we're essentially the first of its kind technology to solve this problem. Um, I'm sure you're aware that 57% of businesses are prohibited from allowing dogs inside because of federal health code regulations. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot of places that if you're out and about all day with your dog at parks and at you know, throughout the neighborhood and then you just like need to go to the bathroom or you need to get a bite to eat. And that's something that we have to do because <laughs> we're alive. Um, we we want to make sure that there's an actual safe option. And, and currently the only options are either unsafe or illegal. Another thing people are doing is uh, pretending their dogs are service animals, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're all guilty of, but I think it's really detrimental to the, to the disabled community who actually need service animals and are protected under the um, American Disability Act. And so I think, and, and store owners are more and more skeptical of that. And it's just creating kind of a hostile environment between local business owners and pet owners. And that's right. something that's not necessary if we can just provide an alternative for those dog owners. Well, and I really appreciate the ingenuity that you guys have put into this because it's, it's, it is a problem. I mean, this happens to us. We have a fairly, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest. We're fairly dog friendly up here, uh, more so in Seattle than where I live now, but still, uh, you know, my, my little town is actually becoming more and more dog friendly. But yeah, there are places that I simply cannot take my dog. Uh, and I, but I have a couple of questions. Um, so I've, I've, I'm looking at uh, online at dogparker.com. I'm looking to see how it works. And I noticed that the dog can see out, which I think can be both good and bad. Have you had any kind of feedback on, you know, people coming up and tapping on it or, or like any kind of interactions that maybe might put the dog into a, a scary situation? Obviously, the dog being able to see out probably will give them a little bit of comfort. But, you know, what kind of feedback have you gotten from folks about it? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think every dog is different. And that's what's really important for us to keep in mind and for, you know, dog owners to keep in mind as they consider whether dog spot is a good option for their dog. Obviously, Um, most dogs are crate trained these days so it's comfortable for the dogs in that sense like they're willing to get in and they're fine with it as far as like the window and the accessibility we have a tint on the window uh, which allows for the dog to have privacy so people can't actually see whether there's a dog inside as they pass by which is nice Um, there's always the issue with like it's on the ground it's on the sidewalk so it's at kind of kid level right and I, I think that anytime um, anything exists in a public space, you know, it's like, it's vulnerable to 
passersby like being, I don't know, behaving badly. Um, what we have found, I mean, we have motion sensors and touch sensors on our dog spots and we have not had any issues with that. And we have done all of our um, deployments in cities like Brooklyn and Detroit. So, I mean, we're not like, you know, in the most mellow suburbs ever. We're in like urban environments with like lots of street traffic. Um, and we have found that I think that for whatever reason, because it's in the public and maybe because people tend to really love dogs, like they're on way better behavior than they are with people. (laughs) So we haven't had any issues with that. Um, obviously if a location turned out to be more vulnerable to that, we would reconsider whether it's a good placement. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's and that's okay. We're we're flexible and willing to to see what works. And and you work with the business, right? This this is Correct. something that's purchased by the business. It's actually not purchased. We lease them to oh, the, okay. the businesses, okay. and then we own and operate them. Uh, we provide everything from the insurance to twenty four seven customer service, um, and we're doing daily cleaning on the houses by hand in addition to that self-sanitizing mechanism. So, you know, obviously sanitation is different than cleaning, right? We want to wipe it down and make sure the fur and whatever kind of elements are out of there so that people feel like it's clean and fresh for them. And that needs to happen every day. So there's a lot of daily maintenance and monitoring, plus all of the um, work that we do to ensure that every session is um, going well and that the dogs are happy. I mean, that's all like we want to have a touch point on that. We're not giving the houses to anybody at this time. So I have to ask then about scale, because how many cities are you in, in right now? So right now we are in, we're only in two cities and we're working with the mayors of 20 other cities and we have over 150 business partners um, and and developers that are working on getting houses onto their properties in the next couple of months so we're in the middle of like a big big scaling yeah huge launch right now nationally so in order for this system to work then you have to have teams that are remote so in each city type of thing because i guess i would think okay love it that you're cleaning it down but you know what do you do for the dog that got scared in the middle of the whole thing and then you know let loose. Um, the ne- the next people that come in there are, are, are not going to be using it, which of course is revenue loss for you guys and, and whatnot, but also it's kind of going to be diminishing your brand. Do you have any things in place or do you have any? We do. That, so how does that all work? This is interesting. We get this question. It's almost the first question everyone asks, like what if they go to the bathroom inside? And I think what's interesting is that the way create training works is that dogs don't tend to go to the bathroom in small enclosed spaces that they're occupying. However, uh, if that were to happen, we have a whole protocol that we would follow. We would take the house offline and we would deploy one of our service technicians to take care of it before it was available for use for someone else. Um, I will say though, in two years of operating in Brooklyn, we didn't have any dogs use the bathroom in in the, yeah, I know my dog wouldn't, but I mean, you know, you never know. You never, you might get a dog that gets really freaked out about being there or whatever. Do you really know? With the video monitoring, it allows us to know when that's happened so that we don't have to wait for somebody to, you know, stumble into kind of a messy situation. Okay. So what about if people, because we live in a place that's super duper hot in the summertime, and this would be great for a lot of places here in town, but obviously we're a smaller town and uh, what have you. How, how do people get DogSpot to come to their area? So we have a, a place on our website, and that's www.dogparker.com slash next dash city. And we're asking people to go and fill out a form that basically tells us that they want us to come to their area. And we then send them 
you know, swag and a little prize as well as some flyers that they can take to their local retailers because we're basically asking them to generate some inbound sales requests from us. And that has been incredibly effective so far uh, awesome. because when, when businesses hear from their own customers that they would use a dog spot there, it's much more compelling than when we call them. Um, so I encourage everybody to do that. And I also want to clarify really quickly that Dog Spot is our new name. We used to be called Dog Parker, which is why it's going back and forth between these things. And our website is still dogparker.com because we're in the middle of kind of that brand transition. But sure. it is Dog Spot. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, coming on the show, Rebecca. Thank you. Stay tuned, pet lovers. We're going to come back. We're going to be talking to an expert on pet-friendly cities and how you can go about finding places that will welcome your pooch. And while you wait, why don't you look up some of the dog-friendly places where you live and plan your next outing for your fur kids. Pet Lover Geek, brought to you by Pet Hub, will be right back on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we are back. Now, we just talked to Rebecca from the Dog Spot about how they're working to make cities more pet-friendly by giving us a place to park our pooch when they're not allowed to come inside with us. But really, most of us are looking for things to do with our pups when we're in the city, especially when we are vacationing in a city. We want to know how to enjoy the city alongside our canine. Well, up next, we have someone with us whose life revolves around traveling to pet-friendly places with her dogs and sharing those adventures with her many fans. And she's one of our favorite people on the planet. It's Amy Burkert from Go Pet Friendly. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much, Florian. Now, I love having you on the show, and a lot of folks, I'm sure, are going to be familiar with you. But for those who haven't heard of you before because they live underneath a rock, tell us a little bit about <laughs> what Go Pet Friendly is all about. Well, it's a website that we started uh, about nine years ago um, that is a database of pet-friendly locations across the country. So there are about 65,000 hotels, campgrounds, beaches, restaurants, wineries, dog parks, um, all throughout the U.S. and Canada. 
And then it um, is also a road trip planner. So you can tell it where you're starting from and where you're going to, and it'll map your route and find all the pet friendly things along the way. And then the final part of it is our blog where we share our adventures and tips for traveling with pets. And we've been doing that, like, like I said, for nine years now. So we've got, a, we've been a lot of places. We've got a lot of destination guides on the blog, so it can help people figure out what they want to do when they head to a new city. Awesome. And you literally spend your entire time traveling around the country, finding new, cool, pet-friendly places and then writing about it. I love that. Yeah. Yep. We've been in the RV now, I guess, a little bit more than eight years. So Ty and Buster and Rod and I sold it all and jumped in the RV and took off. You you, you are literally living my dream life. Okay. So (laughs) let's let's talk about cities in particular, because you and I have talked before a lot about camping and RVing and hiking with pets, but we haven't gotten to talk much on the show about city uh, traveling with your pets. So first of all, I want to you know, we want to start talking about, we know that a lot of cities are working hard right now on becoming more pet friendly, but they lots still have a ways to go. So what are some of the ways that super pet friendly places stand out compared to maybe cities who are still working to become more friendly for our four-legged family members? Well, I think it depends first on your definition of pet friendly. So if you're looking to live in a city, you're looking at things like um, you know, available housing, good veterinarians, um, you know, those kinds of things. For me, when I measure a city's pet friendliness, I think about people who are traveling there on like on vacation or, you know, like me, stop, I'm not, I guess I don't really call myself on vacation, but me going there, I want to be able to experience the city um, with my pets in a way that other tourists might. Um, so I, that's how, kind of how I measure whether a city's pet friendly or not. So some of the things I look for are, are pets allowed at the outside seating areas of restaurants? Because when I'm out, you know, traveling, I want to be able to eat out. I don't want to have to leave the dogs uh, behind when I do that. So being able to find a pet friendly patio where we can enjoy something to eat together. That's one of the, that's one of the big things that I, that I pay attention to. Um, the other thing is, are there places that we can go? Are the parks pet friendly? Are there walking trails available that are that are that the dogs are allowed on? Um, do the businesses somehow indicate when they're pet friendly? So if we're you know shopping, doing a little b- boutique shopping down a you know a nice little main street, um, do the um, businesses have water bowls out front? Do they have stickers in the windows that say your pets are welcome inside? Um, you know, do they make us feel like we are welcome mm-hmm. there? Are there are there trash receptacles to pick up after the pets? You know, that's a big thing that, you know, if you can't find a trash can to pick up after your pet, um, you know, that's a real pain. Yeah. So yeah. having trash receptacles available is great. And the kind of the last thing I look for, uh, I try to um, uh, go places where they don't discriminate by breed. So if a city or or a town or municipality uh, imposes some sort of a breed restriction, um, then we usually don't frequent those kinds of places. That's, uh, you know, a choice that we've made just to um, vote with our dollars, yeah, right? We absolutely. vote that they don't discriminate based on breed. <laughs> absolutely. I'm here, here. I'm totally with you. That. So with that being said, what are your, what are your few, your top favorite pet fr- friendly cities to visit? Oh, it's a, there's so many great places, right? There's so many fantastic cities to visit, but some of our favorites um, 
Well, probably the most pet-friendly city town in the country is Carmel, California. It is spectacular. Um, they've got a beautiful beach right there at the you know at the bottom of the of the um, ocean drive, and um, it's completely off-leash and pet-friendly. Mm. The whole beach. Oh yeah, I, so I know that beach actually. It is lovely. It is fantastic. One of the best beaches in the country, and it happens to be completely pet friendly. So, but beyond that, Carmel really does go out of their way to make um, people feel welcome. They're, they have great pet supply stores. They've got a, a um, museum that's pet friendly. <laughs> you can go in um, lots of restaurants to choose from. So hotels that are pet friendly as well. So, you know, they've really got their bases covered. Austin is another place where Austin, Texas, we find being pet friendly is the rule rather than the exception in Austin. So you're more likely to have to call um, a place and ask, you know, if you can bring your kids along than if you can bring your pet <laughs> along because they are just, they are just so pet friendly. I mean, it's just unusual that you find any business in Austin that, that doesn't welcome pets. And you have a list, right? I've, I've, I've seen, remember, you have a really great list, a, a running list almost of, of great places to visit, don't you, on the website? Oh, yeah, we've got, well, you've got the destination guides, but then we've also done blog posts. So kind of depending on what you might be looking for, um, you know, we've got top 10 cities for dog-friendly hiking. Right. Um, You know, if you're looking to do some hiking within a city, you know, then you want maybe want to go check out Portland because they've got some amazing parks, Portland, Oregon. Right. Um, Amazing parks, gigantic parks. You know, Forest Park is huge, and there's some great hiking right there in town. Um, Actually, New York City is great for that as well. Um, Central Park is an amazing place. Uh, you could spend days exploring, yeah. just exploring Central Park with your pet. And, and there's, you know, many, many, many places where the pets are welcome within Central Park. And there are some off-leash areas, actually, too, in Central Park, if you know where to look. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and yep. of course, we, lear- we learned where to look by following your blog. Well, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about... The differences between vacationing with your dog in a city or, or, a, or a town, like where the city or the town is the destination, versus what you and I have talked about a lot, camping or RVing, um, where it just seems you know, easier. So what are, what are the things that I need to know, be prepared with as a dog mom to be, do it right in the big city with my dog? Well, you have to be responsible, right? So if you're in the city, you're going to be around a lot of people. So you want to absolutely always pick up after your dog, absolutely always keep him leashed, those go without saying um you want to also have trained your dog so that he's comfortable or she's comfortable being in more populated places and if if you need some practice with that then you know go to the more crowded places at off times go later in the evening to the downtown area or go first you know early in the morning before people are really up and about uh, to give your pet some time to get used to those kinds of things i always carry a treat bag so you have to remember whenever you take your pets to a new environment it's a new opportunity to train them they know how to behave on a leash maybe when you're camping but do they know how to behave on a leash when you're walking around a new mm-hmm. unfamiliar city. With a lot of and smells so, and, and everything because, that that they've never had before. Exactly. And just because you train them how to behave in Chicago doesn't mean it applies in Austin, right? right. There's there's different smells. There might have been a horse walking down the street in Austin. Well, there's barbecue so in Austin, so that right there there's is... There's barbecue. <laughs> I mean, right, Who can, what dog can be expected to ignore that? Right. So we, we always keep a treat bag 
on, on our hip when we've got our dogs out and about because it's, it's a constant opportunity to train them because you're going, because you're in such a concentrated place, you're going to be running into things that they're not familiar with or they don't have a lot of experience with. Right. And so it's important for you to take the lead and just um, make sure that they're well-behaved and good ambassadors. Awesome. Now, the, the last little bit here, I want to talk about innovations that you've seen in cities or maybe innovations that you'd like to see in cities as you've been busy. We just got done talking to dog spot. And it's a you know, temperature controlled dog house where you can just park your pet while you need to run into a store. And it's really awesome. Have you seen any really cool pet friendly tech or innovations or are there ones that you would like to see more of when in your travels? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen some um some of the cities are setting up uh, apps now, so you can log into an app and you can find things to do in the town, you know, kind of like a visitor's uh, brochure, but online. So that's really handy. A lot of times they will indicate on there things that are pet friendly. So that's uh, really helpful. Um, the One of the things that I guess I'd like to see is, is for, for um, us to be able to monitor how our dogs are doing when we're out and about. So like babies, um, dogs can get overstimulated. I mean, you've seen a baby that's been, you know, mm-hmm. overtired. Right. That happens to dogs too. And so, you know, I, I'd like to see like a, a, some kind of a collar maybe that they could wear that would keep track of how far we've walked and what, what their temperature is right? To make sure that we're not getting overheated or too cold or um, something like that. And just kind of keep track of their well-being. I know how I feel on any given day. Um, and I know if I'm getting tired or it's time to stop or I want to, you know, find a place to rest for a while or sit in the shade or whatever it is, but they can't talk to us. And so having that access to something, to that kind of information would be super yeah, and so the, and that that would be interesting to see that at, like at, on a, on a citywide level too. But that's 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 really awesome. Yeah, and there are callers out there that do track activities, but to see it in terms of yeah that overstimulation and is, how's my pet doing in terms of you know, getting by in the day and that kind of thing that is really cool. Now I want to make sure that everybody understands what they need to do in order to perfectly plan a trip. So if you could talk us through real quick, where do they go on your site to plan that trip when they want to visit a city? So when you're starting out, right, if you're still trying to decide where to go, when you go to Go Pet Friendly, across the top it says Ready, Set, Go. If you click on Go, you'll find a, uh, it'll bring up a map and it's got pinpoints of all of the blog posts that we've written about different destinations. So you can check through the destination guides and find something that sounds appealing to you. And then uh, if you're going to drive, you can head over to the road trip planner. So you just click on set and um, it'll bring up the road trip planner. You can tell it where you're starting from and where you're going to. It'll map your route. You can find all the things that you want to do along the way. Or if you know where you're headed and you're just looking for things to do in the area, then the homepage at GoPetFriendly has a place where you can type in the name of the city and it will bring up a, a little snapshot of all of some of the things that are available to do there. So um, hotels and restaurants and um, activities and um, some services that you might need when you're on the road. And then uh, in, within any of those categories, you can click on see more and it will provide you with the full list awesome. uh, of those places in that city. Such a helpful guide. Thank you so much for chatting with us again, Amy. We just love having you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always my pleasure. Stay tuned, pet lovers. When we come back, we're going to be talking with even more experts who are working hard to make cities more pet friendly and and help you share those wonderful places with your animal kids. So while you wait, I want you to go over to gopetfriendly.com. Look up some of those pet friendly places, maybe near where you live, or you can start planning your next vacation and see how amazing this tool is. 
Pet Lover Geek will be right back on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, pet lovers. We just finished stopping talking with Amy Burkert from Go Pet Friendly about her favorite dog-friendly places and cities and how to find them yourself. And so our next guest, Beth Miller, she's the president and CEO of Wagtown. She's going to be talking about her company, which is focused on advocating for dog-friendly communities and really excited to have her here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us on Pet Lover Geek, Beth. Thank you much for having me, Lorian. I appreciate it. I'm I, I'm really excited about people hearing about Wagtown because you and I met I don't know like a year and a half ago two years ago something like that mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think Wagtown the idea of it is great so I'd love every if you could give everybody that snapshot of how Wagtown came to be. Sure, sure. I actually come from the ad agency side of business where we did a lot of strategic planning for different people, and as a part of my progression in my education track, I wrote a strategy for a, a concept to use dog friendliness to in, sort of inspire edu- economic impact and development in communities mm-hmm. through dog-friendly initiatives because our research showed that communities that have dog-friendliness pillars within them tend to be more humane. Obviously, mm-hmm. they take care to really watch out for the animals in their community and how they interact with each other. Are they collaborative or competitive, things like that. Those communities also were more welcoming with infrastructure like mm-hmm. off-leash areas or veterinary care options and things like that. In addition to that, they were also safer. We found that more communities, more dogs, that those dogs were better better acclimated to being around people in social situations, but it also was a deterrent for crime because those people were out with their dogs. They're like a neighborhood watch program, that they're always out there. They know what's wrong. They know what's right. They Mm -hmm. recognize those changes, and it also improves the behavior of the dogs and the people around them. So you get those benefits. In addition to that, obviously, the economic development part of it is 
you're going to be more attractive to the vibrant young workforce and you mm-hmm. bring in new businesses and people are out kind of engaged in a retail experience in ways that they might not have been if they didn't have that. Obviously, the humane stuff is in there. On the other side of that is more responsible pet ownership. So mm-hmm. when you see an increase in dog-friendly infrastructure and policies and practices, if you don't have responsible dog ownership in lockstep with that, you're going to see problems. Um, so that's one of the things we try to also foster is what are the legislative um, architecture pieces that need to exist in a community? Do those things lend themselves to safety and economic development? And it becomes this massive social lubricant. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're the kind of person that when you see someone walking toward you with a dog, oh, yeah. you know, if you say, what kind of dog is that? It's another way of saying, can I pet your dog? Oh, <laughs> so yeah, right. People just let their guard down. It's a key for networking in the community, mm-hmm. and my my friend space is very often dog connected. And what yep. you mentioned too about appealing to that young, vibrant community. The most recent study shows seventy five percent of millennials have a dog, and so and you know they you look do. at the national statistic; it's just under what just under fifty um, percent, but yes. it's huge with millennials. But a lot of people that age also they are postponing or choosing opt out on having children. And Mm -hmm. in that instance, those kids, and you know, remember when you were all first married and your first kid is generally your cocker spaniel or something. Mm -hmm. So you sort of um, grow up with a dog in your household and then you get out into the real world and you miss that sort of companionship and support that you had in your life. So Mm -hmm. these young people are getting their dogs and they're of the mindset of, if I want to go there, I'm bringing my whole family with me. So my significant other is going to come. And of course we would bring our Rottweiler because he's a part of our, our family Mm -hmm. unit. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of push there, as we all know, with the younger generation these days, they're very civically minded, they're engaged in their community, but they also expect some reciprocity there. I want to be able to bring this there. And if you don't want that, I'll take my business elsewhere. So now you're right. starting to see increasing numbers of businesses that recognize the economic impact that it can have on their entrepreneurship. So it, it drives it in both ways. There's a supply and demand on that. And both sides are looking for that opportunity. The only thing that was disheartening was that all these opportunities for dog-friendly experiences tend to be something that's like we've got a stringer reporter and she had dinner at Lily's last night and there was a basset hound under the table. She was talking about it at the office. Let's have her write 850 words for this thing. Bing, you've got another hit that your, your town is dog-friendly. Mm-hmm. But what we found was when you go in there, it's so frequently used to sell packages and dog food and condos and, you know, that it's not necessarily genuinely dog-friendly. If you're going to say you're dog-friendly, you ought to be Mm dog-friendly. Interestingly enough, it's different for rural versus suburban versus, you know, north, east, southwest. There are different cultural norms. So what's dog-friendly in Oregon and what is acceptable for an off-leash experience is not at all what would be appropriate in Old Town in D.C. We have to really take those things into consideration. So we started doing research, and it just kind of, you know, expanded from there. So right now we've done more than 400 interviews in 18 different states trying to get a feel for what makes this thing tick. So there's a lot to unpack there. So I want to ask a couple of specific questions because I love the fact that you're, you guys are talking about specifically responsible dog friendliness and creating that fun, safe space for the dog and their and their humans in the community. And, and what you're talking about with businesses and how they approach, like, how do I become dog friendly? How do I strive for that dog friendly status, both from the town's perspective, the city's perspective, but also the business's perspective? Are there tools that you provide uh, from Wagtown to help businesses or town cities actually start to do that, like a, a kit or something like that? H- how to get here? How do you right. get to that dog friendly status? 
Well, it's it's more like a jigsaw puzzle, and you know you can kind of see a puzzle what it's going to be, but you don't necessarily have to have all the pieces put in there. But if you can start to take a look at the the bones, so to speak, of your community or your business, if you have a business and you'd like for it to be more dog friendly because you want to attract a more vibrant workforce that's looking for sort of virtual workspaces and more family based settings for their for their career path then ask yourself if that's something that your employees are looking for, what are the things that get in your way? Many cases you'd have a a business in a building where the building is not dog friendly, but the business would like to be. So then I think it's a conversation that you start. And so we always work with people in the sense of, let me work you through all, let me walk you through all of the steps that you might take to better understand what the limitations are for that. What are the positive outcomes that could come from that? And what are some negative things that could happen that you need to address before you open those doors? So we're working with a team in Dayton, Ohio right now that would like to have more dog-friendly infrastructure in the downtown area to sort of um, generate more foot traffic between two zones. So we're building what's called the Wagtown Dog Trail, which is uh, just a space that you go around two-mile track. It sort of infuses more business dollars into the shops and the pop-ups that are along that route. It gets some more social engagement because people are out there using that as a like a dog park, but it's it's through trail instead of, and it's urban, so you can do it anywhere. And those can pop up. But when you do that, you have to take into consideration what is what is the dog owner behavior in this area? Do we need to have some education about that? Where are we on vaccinations in our area? Um, is this going to be a health issue? Is this going to be a safety issue? And down to policies of if you want to have your dog be able to come into your workspace, are they trained for that? Do you have infrastructure at the facility? If you're a person who goes on sales calls, then walk with your employer about, do we need to have crates set up here? Can, I know when we went to Trupanion up in the Northwest, it was interesting that they have 300 dogs that are eligible to come to work. And in any day, they have around 75 to 80 dogs in their offices. Mm-hmm. And they all are like humans. They have their clicks they hang out with. They just kind of crash and wait for their owners to go to lunch or to leave for the day. But they kind of change the um, the demeanor of the people working there and the vibe. You feel like um, who you are is celebrated instead yeah. of conforming to what you would think you need to be in order to fit in with that group. So it, it really does change the dynamic. So in terms of a kit, I think that there are some simple things that somebody wants to walk through, but it is very, um, it's very individualized. So a lot of times people sort of relate that to dog parks, a dog park would be appropriate in one community may not make any sense in another. Same thing with the workforce. What makes sense for your workforce, for the laws in your area? I know in Ohio, we were involved in changing things so that the business owner could choose to be dog-friendly for a restaurant location instead of the health department saying, no, you can't for the entire state. Mm-hmm. So when that flips, that gives these people an opportunity to cash in on the fact that dollars follow dogs. So from the other perspective, I can definitely see how a business and a city might think, hey, for economic reasons, for all the different reasons that you you mentioned, it'd be really smart for us Mm -hmm. to move towards more dog friendly. But what if I'm a person living in a town and I'm like, gosh, I really wish my town were more dog friendly. Are there resources, help that Wagtown can give me to help, you know, I don't know, convince my town or convince businesses locally to move towards more dog friendly? I think that the best thing that a pet owner can do in their community to make it more dog friendly is to ask that very question for them to say along those pillars, you know, is my community humane? Mm -hmm. If there is not a humane environment for the pets, there's no reason that every single person in that community cannot get involved and push the needle toward humanity. 
Um, you know, there's that saying by Gandhi about the reflection of the community is how it takes care of their animals. Mm-hmm. And I think that that transcends into how we treat each other. So I would encourage that person to take a look into how can they help from a humane perspective, from a safety perspective, are you getting training? But then to take all those tools and to try to exponentialize that by reaching out to other friends, getting involved in rescue work so that they can have a really good, firm understanding of what the needs are for animals in their community. Mm -hmm. And then for their individual one, I think nothing really strong is going to come out of one individual making that stride forward in the same way that it would if they lockstepped with several other of their friends because it does become a very social and evolutionary experience where you start to get this ball rolling. And then when the community starts to see, Oh, we made record sales when we had this dog event here. Mm-hmm. And when we did it again, three months later, we topped those numbers. Right. So they start to see when you put it right in front of people, Oh, this does make our region more vibrant. This is right. a key to how we could attract new people. This does make this a better place for people to live. And so instead of having all these false claims of dog friendliness, let's see if we can move the needle toward authentic dog friendliness. Cause I love like bring Fido, how you can find out places to go, Yeah. but it still is geared on, you know, these self-reported um, mentions from people all over the country. What we wanted to do was go in and find out where are they making the difference and where are they faking the difference? Mm, yeah, that's important too. I love, I love your general approach to it's each community is going to be different. So it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. That's great. Tell us how people can learn more about Wagtown for, for themselves. Wagtown is on Facebook at wagtown.org. Uh, we also have that hashtag Wagtown where they can search for all our different social media channels. We're in the process right now of building a site that will be sort of cultivated content and opportunities for people to showcase what their programs are that are great best practices around the country, but also to connect people regardless of breed and activity level. Fantastic. See, that's really great stuff, Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned, pet lovers. When we come back, we'll be digging into even more ways that towns and cities and communities across the nation are taking strides to become more dog-friendly and making it a priority. While you wait, go check out Wagtown on Facebook and see what possum things that they are up to. Pet Lover Geek brought to you by Pet Hub. We'll be right back on Voice America. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Pet Lover Geek, everyone. So we've talked to several awesome people today about all sorts of different things that towns and cities are doing to create more dog-friendly areas and some of the best places around the country for you and your pets to explore. But we thought it would be great if we could get a little bit more local. Now, a lot of people that have been listening to the show for a long time know this, but Pet Lover Geek is based in Wenatchee, Washington. We're a couple hours east of Seattle, for those of you who are trying to find us on a map. And over the last few years, our town has become more and more dog-friendly and continues to do so. It's one of the reasons my husband and I love to live here. Well, one of the reasons that it's become so dog-friendly is because of some local groups like Wenatchee Fido. And our last guest is a semi-retired veterinarian. Her name is Dr. Karen Smith. She's a friend of mine. She's a volunteer and the previous head chair for Wenatchee Fido. She's this, a local dog advocate group here in Wenatchee Valley. And she's going to talk to us more about what Fido did and is still doing to create more accessible areas for our pups to enjoy our wonderful area. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. Thank you. So I'd love it if you could start by just sharing with our listeners a little bit more about Wenatchee Fido and how you got started. Fido started with a group of people who were interested in creating public off-leash dog parks. They started by getting community support, filing petitions, talking to the city, talking to city parks departments about how to go about starting a dog park. When I came on the scene about seven years ago, the city had just received a donation of land and was looking for input for what to do with that land. So Fido became very actively involved in encouraging the city to create a dog park there. For those who aren't familiar with Wenatchee, it's a beautiful little plot of land around our Apple Loop Trail, which goes around the Columbia River here. There was a lot that went on before you could even start Can you tell people a little bit about how did the groups start digging in and figuring out who to talk to about creating this dog park? At the beginning, there were a group of people who thought there should be a dog park. And most cities have a parks department or a parks and recreation department, and that would be the place to start. Another group is the Trust for Public Land, which is a group that helps to create city parks. You definitely want to partner with a group uh, that's already there and what they need is an advocacy consumer um, group that's going to be citizens who can advise the city on how to proceed and what they want. Was there much pushback from the city and parks about doing this off-leash park? You know, we were super fortunate in Wenatchee in that we did not get pushback. I've heard from people in other cities that they had to really make a very good case for why you need dog parks. So in some places, you will have to gather data, which is easily available. You have to gather information about why dog parks are good, why they benefit people. They're not just about dogs, they're about people. And you can get that information and take that to your city people to explain to them why dog parks are important. Mm -hmm. We had some super good support with our city parks, but we still had to make that case for people who were kind of puzzled about why do you need a dog park? Some cities will give you more push pushback. Mm -hmm. There will be some places where people will say, we don't need a dog park. The the issue we had here at Wenatchee was this is a growing small city and Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of it used to be rural, people were puzzled. They thought, don't dogs just get to walk off leash all over the place? But that's not the case anymore. And I know that when we first moved here, there was a a really small pay uh, park to go that was near the the loop that you could pay to go. But there was no place that was a safe enclosed off-leash park. And we found, you know, having moved from the Seattle area where there were so many uh, off-leash dog parks, Culture here definitely was in the process of changing because a lot of people, when we would go out on the trails, had their dogs off leash, which is we were not used to because where we were from in Seattle, very much everybody keeps their dogs on leash because of, frankly, more people on the trails. So it was interesting to see there was a change in culture and mindset here going on. Can you talk a little bit about the things that you guys did to help promote that education and promoting the training that needed to go on to, to get people to understand the need for responsible dog ownership and having a park that reflected that? Yes, we actually developed some really positive collaborations with other groups. We have a land trust here that sets aside land that does have trails on it, mm-hmm. but where dogs are required to be on a leash. And they were very concerned with so many dogs off leash. I went to them and said, hey, we can be a great partner here because we can help educate people to keep dogs on a leash on the land trust land when there is a place where you're allowed to be off leash. So when I put it to them like that, they were very supportive, where at first you would have thought, why would they support an off-leash dog park? They have a whole different agenda. Mm -hmm. But their agenda really matched ours to to say to people, here's where you have your dogs on leash, and here's where you have them off-leash. So they were great collaborators and um, collaborators and, and real good supporters. And so through community efforts, we've educated people more about where you can have your dog off leash. It's really been exciting to watch. Now, I'd love for you to talk a little bit, because I'm sure if somebody's listening now, I wouldn't even know the first thing about making a dog park. Like, how do you know what to put in it and and what kind of materials need to be and who builds it? Can you talk a little bit about the actual project once you guys or, you know, how you got got the land to be appropriated for it and then how you got to build the, the park itself? Yes, I thought those same things when I started. They asked me to volunteer and I said, I don't know anything about dog parks. So a couple of things. There's a whole bunch of groups who have already created dog parks, and I called the people in Seattle who have, uh, who manage the volunteers at Marymore Park and um, learned a lot from them. So you can contact people like us, and we can help you with information. There's a lot of information out there about dog parks, about different um, ground surfaces, about park design that we all learned in the process, and we learned it from other dog park people. So the information is out there. And then we worked with the city. Of course, it's a city park here, and, and our group is all about public-free dog parks. So, of course, there are other groups that create private parks, and that's a, a different um, scenario. But for us, working with the city, and we had the city parks people, and, and we were advising them, and they would come to us with ideas, and we gave input on the dog park rules. And, you know, you do a lot of reading, and you do a lot of talking to other people. It was interesting to watch the the park being built over time. Can you give people a little idea about the scope of the project that you guys had, the time and the effort that went into actually getting all the pieces moving to get the park built? Yes. Once we had the land, it was about five years. And I'll say that the biggest challenge for everyone is going to be finding the land. The one thing we learned was if land is already being used for something else, you have an uphill battle. If you can find some land that is not being used, that might be ugly, that mm-hmm. might be somewhere that's not a great location. The land that was donated to the city was a narrow strip of land with no access. It had been used as a dump. 
and uh, it didn't have water or sewer anything coming to it. So we had a lot of basic work to get done to get a road in there, water, sewer, electricity. They had to take some of the contaminated dirt out and put new dirt in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that land was not being used for anything else. So there was nobody to have an argument with about, well, we, we would like to use it for blah, blah, blah. The other thing that happens with city land is they are required to go through a public input process to ask the residents what you want in that area. So when that happens, you need to have your people ready to give that input. Yeah, the more preparation you have and and kind of thinking ahead of time about what is the pushback going to be about this, then the better off you are. Now, it took you about five years to get it open. It's been open now for, what, two years, maybe? That's right. Yeah, and uh, it's just, it's a fantastic space. And what what's Fido doing now? What are you guys working on now that the, the, the park is up and running and going so well? We're working on looking for land for additional parks, and there's lots of ideas that are coming around. One thing that we did from the very beginning was we put together a PowerPoint presentation and went to every service group and every town. Wenatchee is one of 10 towns in this valley. And I went to every city council. I went to every Kiwanis, Lions, Rotary, every group and presented to get the word out about dog parks and to show people why dog parks are necessary. Um, and so you, you need to get out there and present yourself as the people that know. Then when we, and also I presented to city parks departments in all these towns. So we have East Wenatchee now that's looking at putting in a dog park And really what we're waiting for is finding the right piece of land. There's other people in the community, too, that I'm sure you're able to, to, you know, tap veterinarians like yourself, local humane societies. What other kinds of people were you able to get, you know, coming in with you to, to help garner more support for this? You know what? The smartest thing that Fido ever did was we joined our local chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. And the Chamber of Commerce is, it's really interesting. When you think about dog parks, you think, oh, I want dog lovers to help me. But what you really want are business people to help you. Right. And and so when when Fido joined the Chamber of Commerce, we all started going to chamber events. And that networking and getting out with the people who are business people in your community is really helpful. I can imagine, because if you've got business people, particularly businesses that want to be more dog-friendly, they're going to be there to help you and, and give you more ideas and bounce each other off. That's really great. Now, you guys do a lot of events and activities, too. So tell people about what kinds of activities that you do that can help let people know about what's going on with Fido. We have monthly meetings, and, of course, those are advertised in public areas like the newspaper. We have a Facebook page. We have a website. And you can get people to donate um, the effort toward creating those things for you when you're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We, um, and we also do things like we have photos with Santa in the winter. There's all kinds of fun events you can create around holidays. And these are partly to raise funds, but also every time you have one, you get a free press release and a free public service announcement on the radio. Right. And people, people knowing about it. And I know you guys have done dog walks and things like that and gatherings and meetups and things like that. And I really like that. It's one of the things that's made us really love this being part of the community and having Fido here. Tell people where they can go to learn more about Wenatchee Fido. You can go to our Facebook page is the best thing. And so it's Wenatchee Fido on Facebook. And that's the most active place where we keep things up. We also have a website, WenatcheeFido.org. Fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Karen. Well, thank you. It's so wonderful to see more and more communities taking steps to become dog friendly and having our pups with us is not only great for them to socialize and to expend some energy, but it is a great way to boost your mood and to help network with everybody around you because... 
frankly, most communities have lots of dogs in them and lots of people that love those dogs. Thank you so much to everybody that came to join us on today's show. We had Rebecca Ayer from Dog Parker. We had Amy Burkert from GoPetFriendly.com and Beth Miller from Wagtown. And just now we got done talking with Dr. Karen Smith from Wenatchee Fido. Remember, pet lovers, if you have any questions or ideas for future shows, make sure to send us a message on our Facebook page or drop us an email at info at PetLoverGeek.com and we'll continue to bring you the best in geeky and techie pet products, tips, and lifestyle. Until next time, this is Pet Lover Geek, brought to you by Pet Hub on Voice America. Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek. Please join your host, Lorian Clemens, for another edition on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go grab your best friend and take them out and enjoy the rest of your weekend.